Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today I am speaking with Minda Honey. Minda is the author of a brand new memoir called The Heartbreak Years. It's a hilarious and frank account of a Black woman's turbulent search for love in her 20s in Los Angeles. With much wisdom and compassion for her younger self, Minda addresses her past relationships while talking about the complicated dynamics of race, class, gender, and of course, consent culture. We talk today about why it's hard to talk about our mixed identities, sharing intimate details with the world, and about Minda's intense and frankly admirable reading dashboard tracker system. Remember, this month's book club discussion will happen on October 25th when Minda Honey returns to discuss Tar Baby by Toni Morrison. Everything we talk about on each episode of The Stacks can be found in the link in the show notes. If you like this show or you just like books or maybe you really love snacks and you want to be a part of a community that is excited by all of those things and more, head to patreon.com slash the stacks and join the stacks pack. For just $5 a month, you get to be part of making this show possible. Plus, you get perks like our virtual book club meetups, our Discord that has the best book recommendations on the face of the planet, our monthly bonus episodes like audio from our tour, and of course, you get shout outs on the show. So let's do some now. Shout out to our newest members of the Stacks Pack, Jenna, Chelsea Alex, and Kwai Travis. Thank you all so much for joining the Stacks Pack, and thank you to the entire Stacks Pack just for existing. If you are not in the Stacks Pack yet, head to patreon.com slash the Stacks to join. Trust me, it is never too late to support this podcast or any of your favorite artists and creatives. We need help from our audiences, so please, please, please head to patreon.com slash the Stacks. All right, now it is time for my conversation with Minda Honey. All right, everybody, I am so excited. It is October. It is Toni Morrison month. And to talk about Toni Morrison at the end of the month, I have brought in an author, professor. Her new book is called The Heartbreak Years. It's a memoir. Minda, welcome to... Minda Honey, I should say. Minda Honey, welcome to The Stacks. Thank you so much for having me, Tracy. (laughs) I'm so excited to have you. I'm so excited to talk about your book and then also later in the month to talk about Toni Morrison. It's always like the, the... 
episode of the year is what Toni Morrison are we doing? So we'll get oh there my later. Gosh, but so much for pressure. now, <laughs> yes, a ton of pressure. So read up, really, God, no, because I'm gonna be the idiot who's like, I didn't understand it, and then you're gonna have to explain the entire book to me. So that happened with yourself. my sister when her book club read Sula. Like she borrowed my copy and was like making fun of me because it's all marked up. It's got all these tabs in it, and then oh like God. by the end, she was like, "Can you just come to book club and explain this and help to us?" us? <laughs> That's the episode we did on Beloved. We did it with Damaris B. Hill, and that was in 2019. So it was the second Toni Morrison book we did. And I, she came to my house because it was pre-COVID, and I used to always record at my house. She came to my house, and I was like, "I'm so, you know, thanks for being here. So glad to meet you. Loved your book. Also, just want to let you know when we get to the Toni Morrison part." I'm just going to ask you a lot of questions and then you just explain the book to me. <laughs> and she did. And it's still one of like the best episodes. But I always feel like a failure when we do Toni Morrison. So I bring I bring in the big guns like you. But before we get to that, before we get to that, why don't you tell folks a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your book? Okay, so I'm Minda Honey. I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. And my book is about how in my 20s, I moved to Southern California with my high school sweetheart to house sit for his grandparents. And after six years of dating, we broke up. So I was 23. Obama had just become president. And suddenly I had to learn how to like date as an adult for the first time. And I was a Southerner in Southern California. So I was also completely out of context in so many ways. Like I, you know, I say it's kind of like when you go from middle school to high school and you're like, oh my gosh, all my clothes are so childish. You know, like it was, I, like I felt like everyone was so much cooler than me. I'd never even like valleyed my car before. Like, right. Did right. You didn't just, know how to use chopsticks. I didn't know how to use chopsticks, which was an embarrassing detail. I had forgotten about myself. Um, but yeah, so like I just really had to learn so many things over the course of my 20s, like so many of us do. Yeah. I I was, when I was reading the book, you know, it starts with Obama getting elected and it sort of ends, you know, with Trump getting elected. And I thought, this is sort of like the black millennial woman's dating version of we were eight years in power. <laughs> Right, it's like I'll take it. It's not the like political. It's not like the political like case for reparations. But I was like, this is framed in such a similar way. Of, I'm gonna like, tell Tra from Obama Tracy. To Obama. I'm gonna tell my publicist you said that, so she could please do. We can blurb it. Yeah, let's blurb it. <laughs> The black millennial dating. We were eight years in power. Yes. I was like literally in the bathtub and I was like, is that what this is? Like, I would never frame it that way. But then when I got to the end, I was like, sort of is. Um, okay. We're going to talk more about the book, but I do want to talk a little bit about you as a person. Sure. First of all, I live in LA, so I was loving reading all the LA references. But I want to know, like, you teach writing, you teach creative writing. And one of the things that I was thinking about as I was reading the book and just like in general, is who is teaching you? Like, where do you, who do you look to for inspiration when it comes to creative writing? Like, who are the people that inspire you or excite you? Who are your teachers? All of that kind of stuff. You know, so, I mean, currently right now, I'm an editor. I'm the editor of Black Joy for Reckon. So, we get to traffic in positive, uplifting Black stories. Uh, but yes, I teach creative writing workshops online. And previously, I was the director of an undergraduate creative writing program. And throughout the course of my life, like I was one of those people 
who from a very young age was just like always writing, writing my stories, typing up my stories. My dad was a computer programmer, so I learned how to type very early in life. Me and Mavis Beacon uh, got together (laughs) very early. So I was always just kind of like writing and I had all of these ideas that I think were counter to what's standard. Like there's this idea of good writing being kind of like the minimalist design aesthetic. Like it needs to be sparse and it needs to not be emotional. And my stuff was very much like the thickest, sloppiest peanut butter and jelly sandwich you could make, you know? Like, I wanted all the adjectives. I wanted the longest sentences possible. I wanted all the drama. So Mm. that put me a lot of times in conflict with my undergraduate creative writing professors. But I think there's just, like, a certain amount of, like, denseness or naiveness that I just kept writing anyways, (laughs) and I just kept writing the things I wanted to write. Like I talk about in the book how when I moved to Orange County, I found this writing group on meetup.com and it was all elderly white people. Like they all had to be (laughs) 20 to 40 years older than me. And they're writing things like based on the Socratic method and like all this stuff. And then here I come with like, my boyfriend broke up with me and I want to kill myself. (laughs) So so like every week, you know, the, the men are all like rolling their eyes at me. And for whatever reason, I just... I just kept coming back. And so by the time I got to grad school and I got to my MFA program and the chapter in my book about the guy that I date who, you know, he's got erectile dysfunction, like that actually was my MFA submission. And yeah, and again, it did not occur to me that like, hey, maybe (laughs) this should not be people's first introduction to your writing. So... But that's what I did. That's what I sent out. But you got in. so (laughs) And I got got in and the professors were very, you know, aware of what they were getting in me as a writer. Um, But, you know, I I got into my MFA program and I felt like everyone else had read this entire different series of books than I had because Mm. I hadn't read any of like, you know... I can't even think about think of these men's names anymore. All the Michaels and the Franzens, and <laughs> I hadn't read these people. I hadn't heard of these people. Like I, but I had read Morrison and I had read Zora Neale Hurston, and those were actually the writers I wanted to be like, anyways. So mm-hmm. to make this an even longer response to your question, <laughs> I think like I really just kind of learned from the writers that I admired by like reverse engineering um, the books that I was reading. And then also by being just like very committed to who I was as a person and wanting that to come across on the page. And now one of the things that people I feel like praise the most in my writing is my voice as a writer. Um, And so that was honed (laughs) through stubbornness over decades of writing. Yeah, I think that's like the first thing that I thought of when I finished the book was like, she's just got such like a strong voice. I didn't feel like you really like bring your characters or the people in your life to life for us. Like I was like, oh, I definitely know who the fuck Chevy is. Like, <laughs> let me tell you, I'm familiar with that guy. You're like, I've backed up a few Chevys in my day. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I'm like the opposite of you. I was like living vicariously through you. Um, but I but I know, but I know a Chevy, like, you know, I, I'm friends with enough Chevys to <laughs> fill a lot, if you will. Um, 
But I do want to know, okay, so I, I'm so curious about this. The book, as we're talking, isn't out yet in the world. So you're not going to have as good of an answer to this question as I want, but you'll have to come back to me and tell me like in the future. But did you send this book, like arcs of this book to the men that you write about slash did you check in with them or did you change them enough that you feel like they won't know? Like, how did you balance? Because like, you're talking about erectile dysfunction. You're talking about guys who are cheating on their partners with you and vice versa. Like you're talking about really intimate stuff about other people, not just yourself. So I'm wondering like, how much did you change it? How much did you say like, hey, Chevy or artist formerly known as Chevy, like (laughs) you might recognize yourself because you're here. So back in the day when I was in my MFA program, um, I got this opportunity at the LA Book Festival, the LA Times Book Festival, to interview Issa Rae. And Mm. it was right around when her memoir had come out and she writes about the men she dated. And I asked her basically the same question. And she was like, oh, I wasn't really dating men who read. And then I was like... Oh, me neither. <laughs> so, well, yeah. one of the guys read the Toni Morrison Great Gatsby guy. Yes, I'm, I'm sure. But, you know, we had a legal read with this book. And so we definitely went through and changed up things, um, you know, changed up names, changed up details, changed up locations. I say in the like kind of note before you get into the book that some places I'm very vague. And ultimately, I really try to make the even though I'm like writing about these situations I had with other people, I'm really kind of like focusing on myself and my own shortcomings and the way that I changed through those relationships with those folks. Because at the end of the day, like none of those, like as hard as you want to try as a writer, as a memoirist, as an essayist to capture someone else, you can only create characters out of them. You can only create characters out of you because I only knew this one facet of a multifaceted person. And I'm talking about something that happened 15 years ago. Like that person does not exist anymore. The version of who I was 15 years ago does not exist anymore. So you're not really, they're not really like that closely like anchored into the actual person that, you know, is out in the world at this moment. Some of the men, like, you know, I'm still in contact with. And so they like were aware that the book was coming out. My, my high school sweetheart, like, I remember we had a phone conversation years ago and I had mentioned that like I was working on this book. And before I could even finish the sentence, he was like, oh, write whatever you want about me. And I was like, <laughs> I wasn't asking for permission, but also like, thanks, you know? Yeah. So So yeah, so I, you know, some of the people you're still in contact, I'm still in contact with, some of them I haven't spoken to since that, that time in our lives where our lives overlapped. Yeah. Um, I, that was another note I took was like, damn, she's really in contact with a lot of her exes. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Minda, girl. Social media. Um, as far as like divulging about yourself and your life, and I think about this a lot also with memoirists and, you know. Do you struggle at all with sharing some of these like really intimate parts of your life? Like you're, you said you're a writer, but you're also an editor. You formerly were a professor. You teach workshops. Like you're in contact with people all the time. 
is that stressful, scary for you? Like there's a there's a part in the book when you talk about your like about race and you talk about your mom and how she's Filipina and Chinese, but also black. And then you make this comment about your black grandfather, your mother's father. And you're like, you know, that's just like one of those things that doesn't really come up. It's like a little too intimate to talk about. But I'm like sitting there reading it being like, I don't know you and I'm reading this. Like, <laughs> is it too intimate for me to know? So like, I'm just wondering like how how you know when it's okay to put something on the page and and if you feel nervous or stressed or anything or excited for people to read this stuff about you i think it just changes from draft to draft like uh-huh. there were absolutely chapters or things that were in this book all the way up until like the last round of like full revisions that at the last moment i was like you know what I'm going to cut this. I'm not comfortable putting this out in the world or this is too Mm. much someone else's story and not my own story. So I'm going to pull this out. There were things that maybe I wasn't initially comfortable sharing, but I was like, you know, if I'm going to write about this particular topic or I'm going to tell this story at all, then I have to tell this thing as well. And so it just needs to go out. At this point, I've also published a lot of essays. And so I've been through the experience a lot of being very worried about something going out into the world and like what the reaction will be, how people will feel about it. And, you know, coming out on the other side of like, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. You know, the essay Farewell to Fuckboys went super viral and it appears in this book, but split up into three separate chapters just so that it fits the timeline of the Mm -hmm. book. But, you know, Chevy and I were not on speaking terms when that essay went viral. Uh, So when we did speak like a year or two later when the pandemic hit, you know, like that was one of the first things he said to me. He's like, oh, I like I read the essays. Like I've read that essay like 20 times. And I now have such a better understanding (laughs) of like you as a person and like your side of like what was going on then and like who you think I am as a person. So, you know, like I've just kind of learned through those experiences. Also, some of the things that were really hard to publish that I've put out in the world about myself, you know, the the emails, some of the emails you get, you're just like, mm, you could have saved this. You could have yeah. kept it. Um, but sometimes you get emails from people who are like, you know what, you really like you really articulated something that's been weighing on me or this really helped me see this in a different way. You know, I've had a lot of men reach out to me and say, this has really made me reconsider my relationships with women, or this has really made me have more empathy for my mother who I witness going through situations like this. So there is the upside of, of that transparency and that vulnerability. And then I would also just kind of like ask, have you ever read the memoir of someone you're really close to? So Okay, so at this point, I have a lot of writer friends, <laughs> not, you know? Well, not not before. I've become friends with some memoirists whose books okay. that I've read, but I don't I, – I, I, that's not true. I did read a memoir of a friend of mine, but it was a memoir self-help, so it was different. Okay. Yeah, well, so like at this point in my life, I have friends who have written like memoirs, and it's so surreal to me because it's like, oh, I feel like I know this person. But then you right. read the book, and there's all these other things that you didn't know about them. But you right. don't come out of reading the book feeling like, oh, now I know you. Like, it's almost two separate mm-hmm. people. So mm-hmm. I think it's the same thing with this book. And, like, it's like, yeah, when I first meet somebody on the street, I don't want to have to be like, oh, I'm Black and I'm Filipino, but my mom is this and this and that. Right. 
But I also don't, you know, expect that if somebody reads the book, suddenly they're going to feel like we're besties. I think sometimes because of our parasocial society, that happens. Yeah. But but I can't yeah. like presume that that will be the the go forward. Right, right. That's interesting. Um, well, let's talk about race for a second. So you're, as we said, your mom's Filipino and Chinese and black, but she was raised Filipino, was not in relationship with your grandfather and your dad is black. And in the book, you say very clearly that you identify as black and you say, my mom is Filipino. Um, I'm just really curious about that because I'm mixed also. And I do say that I'm black, but I say that I'm mixed also. Like I say both things sort of energy. It just depends on how someone asks me, to be honest, because sometimes, you know, you can tell what they're getting at versus like if I'm just self-identifying, I say that I'm black, but then people are like, uh, and I'm like, hey, my mom's <laughs> white. Like, but I'm just curious about it because because also recently I was listening. Do you know the podcast Higher Learning with Rachel Lindsay and Van Lathan? Mm-mm. It's a podcast on the Ringer Network. Do you know Mark Lamont Hill? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's all three. They're all three black people, and they were talking about Sage Steele and like mixed people, and like when mixed people say that you know I'm black and white or like whatever, how that's like not true that they're just black. And and so I was just, I don't know, reading that part of your memoir made me think of that conversation and like think about how I think about myself. And, I, and I'd love for you just to talk about like why you say, because let me, sorry, let me go. I'm like doing like 10 things. Let me just say this again, <laughs> or let me say this more clearly, I guess. Part of the reason I asked this question is because I'm black and white. I feel like my blackness fully overrides my whiteness because of the way that race is in America. But because you're black and Filipina, I feel like race is at play in a different way where to not include your Filipina-ness is like maybe like might feel like some form of erasure of part of who you are in a way that me being like, I'm black and white, but like actually every black American is also black and white. Like if you really (laughs) want to get into it. And my mom is Jewish. So I will say that I'm black and Jewish, you know, so I'm just like wondering how you navigate being mixed of two things that aren't white, because I feel like that's where it kind of gets interesting to me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I didn't really flesh that out in my head. And as I was doing it, I was like, I'm not doing a good job getting my point across. (laughs) The colorism chapter was one of the hardest chapters to write because it is something that is difficult to talk about clearly. And because terms like come in and out of vogue. So Mm -hmm. there, you know, there have been periods where saying mixed was like, you know, a major no-no. Woman of color, when that term became very popular, I was like, yes, this is it. I'm a woman of color. And then people like came out hard, so hard against that term. And then for a while, the discourse on Twitter was that like, oh, biracial people calling themselves biracial, feeling like they're better than black people. Like if you're any part black, you're black. But now the conversation has shifted to, oh, you can't just claim black if you don't have four black grandparents. And so like the the discourse is constantly shifting. The experience that, you know, you have as a multiracial person is there's no like kind of like blueprint for it because there's just so many different variables at play. And then there's also the way that like you come into your identity over the course of time. Like, you know, I remember at one point during my MFA, I was working on an essay about my mother and my professor was like, oh, why are you writing about this now? Is it because identity politics is trendy? And it's like, nah, bro, because it took me three decades to like figure out my blackness. (laughs) 
Now right. I got time to sit down and think about my Filipino ness. Right. Like, you know, right, like right, you, can't, right. you can't do it all in the afternoon. So right. it's not necessarily that I'm erasing my Filipino Filipino side or that I only feel black, but it's more like I say in the book that I feel like black parentheses Filipino because I grew up in the United States. I grew up within the context of my father's black family. But then we also, you know, my mom had this whole community of other Filipinos who were married to military men. So I had this Filipino American experience, but it's very different than a lot of other people's Filipino American experience because it's mm-hmm. also this Filipino military American experience. Oh, and by the way, I'm in Kentucky. So there's not a lot of reference points for other people. So it does become very difficult to explain this to people. And then because there were certain things that my Filipino-ness displaced when it came to like Black cultural touchstones, because my mother is Filipino and grew up in the Philippines, there were just certain things that you know, we didn't do in our household or didn't speak about or hadn't been exposed to. So there were those ways in which like it made me feel like as an outsider within the Black community. But then on the Filipino side, being Black, um, being darker skinned, like there were times in which like I felt excluded from the Filipino community unless my mom was like literally standing right beside me. And it wasn't actually until I became a writer and I got older that I was really embraced by other Filipino writers that I started to really feel like I was finding my place within the Filipino community. And then the other thing to remember too is like my mom, her mother passed away when she was 16. And then my mother meets my father at 17, marries him, comes to a completely different country where she doesn't know anyone. She doesn't speak the language. So there was also this part of Now, all of a sudden, she's supposed to be responsible for handing down, like, Filipino culture, capital F, capital C, and in a way that she just wasn't prepared to, because in many ways, she was still a child, and she was a motherless child. So all of those things (laughs) add all of these, like, additional layers of complications, and it's just not an easy thing to articulate. And then also, it's a loaded thing, and it's a thing that people are going to bring a lot of their feelings too. You know, I Mm -hmm. I ended up on Lipstick Alley once where there were people upset that I was writing about Black women's singlehood and I had also wanted to include Black trans women. And then all of a sudden people were trying to say that I was trying to make trans women the face of Black womanhood and what right did I have because I have an Asian mother. And I'm like, yo, like I was impacted by... uh, chattel slavery and colonialism on like both sides of my lineage. Right, right, <laughs> I am right, a fully right, oppressed right. person. Um, right. <laughs> but yeah, but you can't be having these arguments with people. <laughs> no, no, it's like impossible. And I always like, I just laugh sometimes at like the way that people try to frame race outside of the context of how race is framed in America. Like they'll be like, oh, well, you don't have four black grandparents. I'm like, well, that's not a prerequisite for being black for the entire history of this country. So I've had black experience regardless of what my grandparents look like, because that's the way that race is framed in America. Like we, we could have this conversation in a different version of this country, but unfortunately the one drop rule and the laws around slavery and who like that, that, outweighs your opinion about my grandfather you know like it's just such an interesting thing that people who I think like generally don't understand the history of race in America try to do to make a point about who's 
you know, to like make a hierarchy or whatever. But it's like, sure, you're right. But also you're so far out of bounds of what's going on and like what's been going on that it's like it can be super frustrating to have. I think at the end of the day, what people actually want is for you to acknowledge your privilege. And it's like I can do that without erasing my black experience. Like I have not I've never gone out into the world and been discriminated against because I'm Filipino. Like, you know, like, like that's, or because my mother's an immigrant, like that's never happened. Like when all of these Asian American hate crimes were happening, I was worried about my mother. I wasn't worried about like somebody was going to attack me for being Asian. Whereas when I do leave the house, I do have to worry about, you know, any violence that might come my way as a black woman. And so it's like, yes, the fact that like, I'm multiracial, that I'm light skinned, that like I have certain hair textures, certain features, um, that I'm educated, that I live in a certain zip code, all of those things, like I can't count on those things to keep me safe from white supremacist violence in America, but they don't count for nothing. And so both of those things can be true. And it's the reality is that it's just a nuanced conversation that not everyone is prepared to have. So you just can't have it with anyone. But what you can do if you write an entire (laughs) memoir is say you can all have the it with you me. need to say. <laughs> <laughs> you can come to me. This is you can book put five thousand words together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this. and nobody can respond until you do your publicity tour. Oh my gosh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been really surprised by because you know that, like you said, the book's not officially out yet, but you know there are people who have early copies, and so one of the things that's been really surprising to me is that I've received messages from a number of older white people who mm. all of a sudden feel like they're like, you have opened my eyes to like anti-blackness in America. And now I understand why we don't say all white lives and that black lives matter, you know, like with like this, this book, yeah, I literally this week, that is so interesting because I right. was going to talk about how <laughs> I feel like your book is just like, I'm black, get over it. Like, we're not no, going to do like, the racism thing. Like, I'm like, oh, I wrote a book about dating. He he he. But apparently yeah. the side quest was to change the minds and hearts of white America because, wow. yeah, I did like, it. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like getting messages from people who are like, yeah, like it just really opened my eyes. All of the people that were like victims of police <laughs> violence. I went on Wikipedia and looked them up because I read your what? book. Yes. Yes. Is so- there another Minda Honey who wrote a book about ra- Like, I'm just dying that like after 2020, a thousand books came out that were like white people, how to think about race. And you're like, I fucked hella dudes. And sometimes it was fun. And sometimes it was whack. And also I went on a lot of dates and got shit faced. And people are like, you've, you've ended racism. You've ended racism. Yes. You, you are know, the like- Frederick Douglass of our times. Thank a you. A spoon full of sugar. Work. Makes the medicine go down. If you want to change, you know, people's mind about racism, wrap it in stories about sex and drinking. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And also just a note for you. It should probably be a spoonful of honey. See what I did there? See what I did there? I love it. I love it. I have to ask you about the title and then we're going to talk about your taste in books. Your book is called The Heartbreak Years. You sort of frame that as that eight years in power, the eight years of heartbreak years or whatever. What years would you say that you are currently in? Oh, that's so interesting. I think that's hard to say because I'm in them. So I don't have the, I don't have the perspective on them yet. Someone did ask me, um, I was at like a 4th of July party and somebody was like, oh, are your, are your heartbreak years over? 
And I was like, you know, in a way, yes, like, don't get me wrong, I'm still experiencing heartbreak. But I don't think it's as destabilizing as it once Mm. was, because I'm more stable. And like in myself and who I am Mm -hmm. as a person, in a way that like, uh, if you've read the book, I clearly was not in my 20s. You were not. I, was, I wasn't. It's okay. I wasn't alone in the instability. <laughs> no, no, you were not. Um, also, you mentioned a millennial waiting to exhale. I'm just, are you going to write it or what's the deal? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, let this writer strike end and then somebody hit me up. I'll write it. Well, write the book. Terry McMillan wrote the book first. Oh, yeah. She did write the book first. I've never written fiction. I've never like. Okay, well, this is a good place to start. You don't have to, but I don't wait. Hold on. I want to just say this. I don't want, I'm I'm commissioning work from you. I don't want you to actually write a millennial version of Waiting to Exhale. Like, I don't want it to be the exact same story, but I just love like the ideas that you planted in the epilogue. So I feel like we need, we just need our millennial Waiting to Exhale, but it should be totally different than the original. That's just, yes. just send that out there. You should try writing fiction. Maybe it would be fun. Uh, I just, I had an undergrad professor who was like so mean to me. Uh, like I just, like I just stopped writing fiction at that point. Okay. So. Well now you have to write it so you can be like, <laughs> fuck that person. I know. Like, and then I we know. can send it to them with a note being like, bet you feel stupid now, guy <laughs> or girl or person. Um, okay. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? 
maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Okay, we're back. We do this every month. It's called Ask the Stacks. Someone writes in, we give them a book recommendation. Before I read this, I just want to say to the listeners, send your book requests to askthestacks at thestackspodcast.com because this is the last one I have in my inbox. So if you guys want to keep doing this, you need to send them, okay? Askthestacks at thestackspodcast.com. All right. This one comes from Jason who says, I want a novel about friendship. Most books are either about love or family or both. I want deep platonic bonds. So I have a few here. I can Mm -hmm. give mine and then you can give yours or you can go first because it looks like you have an answer. (laughs) I want to hear your answers first. Unless your answer is going to be Sula. Okay, that's one of mine. So you take (laughs) Sula. Go first. Go first. I actually put down four because usually I do three. I put down four because I was like, I bet Minda will say Sula. Yes, I absolutely recommend Sula. It's my favorite Toni Morrison novel. It's a slim little thing, but it's packed with so many ideas, but it's just one of the best representations I think we have of friendship, of Black women's friendships, and then also just like the complications within friendships. Um, So yeah, I absolutely recommend that. And like, frankly, everyone needs to be reading more Morrison. Um, What else? Let me look at my bookshelf. Oh, you know, Ross Gay's Book of Delights. I think Mm. that he writes a lot about like his friendships and his friendships from his youth and then the friendships that he's fostered as an adult, uh, particularly within the gardening community. Mm. Just the way that he writes about them are really beautiful. But, you know, I have to give people a content warning with Ross Gay because he's out here claiming to be writing about joy and delight. (laughs) And then he always hits you with the grief. Okay, like there's it's going to be undergirded. There's. There is grief. That's so funny. That you're right. You're you are right about him, but he is like Mr. Joy and Delight. And then you're he like, is. why am I feeling things? Yeah. Um, okay, <laughs> here are mine. I did all I did all fiction. So surprise, surprise for me. The first one is The Ensemble by Asia Gable, which um is about a string quartet, like classical mm. musicians and their friends. And it's just like about their relationships professionally and personally. Though I think maybe two of them do have a relationship, but it's really not the focal point of the book. Um, Another one is The Nickel Boys by Colson Whitehead. Mm. It's about two young boys in those like horrible racist reform schools in Florida, like that were abusing black and brown kids. Um, And then the last one is Another Brooklyn by Jacqueline Woodson, which is about a group of Mm. four young uh, women, young like teenage girls in Brooklyn summer it's like summer vibe friend vibes I love it it's my favorite Jacqueline Woodson um so those are my suggestions if you read any of the books Jason let us know what you think what you thought also everyone again email ask the stacks at the stackspodcast.com so we can keep doing this otherwise I'm gonna blame you and move on with my life okay we can um, also slide uh waiting to exhale in there too, oh yeah waiting to exhale 
submit a classic have, read. Yeah, <laughs> that that's exactly right. Well, we did Sula on the show and Waiting to Exhale on the show for book club. So oh, you could read it fun. and then listen to what we said about them. I love um, it. Though I will say this about Sula. Sula is a book about two people who say that they are friends. But I'm not sure that Sula and Nell are friends. Like there's a conversation to be had about what that relationship is and what that relationship isn't. And it's always touted as a book about friends. But I, when I think about it, I'm like, is this a book about friends? Like, is that a friend that it I want? Is. I think, I think friend, like this topic of like women's early, like the intensity of women's mm. early friendships with each other is a very yeah. trendy topic right now. Uh, Lily Dan Sugar's new book, I think, is on this specific topic. Uh, but there's a few. There's a few books that are coming and a few books that are currently out. And I think that Morrison and Sula are in that phase of like a friendship uh-huh. when you it's like that that melding that happens. Yeah. There's that tension. There's that like maybe there's low simmering like sexuality string like yeah happening in there but it's just like all consuming and those are friendships that are very difficult to have once you're an adult and a fully formed person so it's a very specific genre kind of friendship yeah and I think that's why it was so hard for them later in life and later in their friendship because Sula goes away so the friendship doesn't evolve like it just stays in that really intense thick thick place Yeah. yeah I feel like also The Bluest Eye is a book about friendship. Mm, I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, it's similar though, right? It's like the relationship that the sisters have with Pecola and like what it's a book about friendship, but it's not necessarily a book about friends. Man, like, it's the bluest like, eye you know, is a book about itself. Like it's Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fact. Okay, let's talk let's talk about books you love and hate. Let's start where we always start. Two books you love, one book you hate. Oh, wow. I mean, I I always love Kiese Layman's Heavy. Uh, <laughs> I you know, I was I've been like a long-time fan of Kiese and his writing. I was fortunate to like get an early copy of Heavy and like it's the writing really moves me. The things he writes about are very moving, but I also just learned so much from him as mm-hmm. a writer. Like, mm-hmm. I cannot read Kiese while I'm writing because my writing will take on the same rhythm as his writing. And he right. also just loves a word with, like, a strong R in it. Revolution. Reconnaissance. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> Revision. Revision, yes. It's, yeah. it's like, you know what? I don't got that many R words in my vocabulary. I gotta, <laughs> I gotta take a Kiese break until I finish this essay. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, always love Kiese. And then a new favorite, um, like, in the process of becoming a favorite, is Destiny Hemphill. Uh, Destiny is a poet and I've been working my way through Mother World and the entire book just feels like this incantation. I'm not a poet. And so I say like, oh, I don't read a lot of poetry, but actually I do read quite a bit of poetry at this point because a couple of years ago I made a commitment to read poetry 
regularly. And this book, I've already bought like two copies for other friends. Um, mm. you have you it's an indie publisher, so you can go to Action Books to order it. But you know, just writing about mothering, writing about the black experience, writing about nature and like dystopia. Mm. It's just yeah, it's just magic. It's just like magic on the page. I, I don't know how else to explain it other than go read it. <laughs> it's what all That's the cool good. kids are doing. <laughs> I love that. I've never I don't think I've heard of that. Maybe I have I have to look at the cover. I remember I can only remember books by covers at this point. Like I can't mm. remember titles or authors' names oh, anymore because it's like there's so too many. many. Right. There's so many. I like I can't keep up. But if I see the cover, I'll be like, oh okay. Um, one of my team members put me onto it. They were like, you okay. should read this book. And I was like, okay. So I yeah. I love a good recommendation. Okay. What's one book you hate? I hate The Catcher in the Rye. I hate oh, that book. Yes, me too. It's horrible. <laughs> it's How old so... were you when you read it for the first time? Oh, wow. I was remember? in high school. I was in okay. high school. So was I in high school or maybe like eighth grade? So like eighth or ninth oh, grade, okay. right around in there. And I just remember being like, I don't like this book. I don't like this character. I don't like this person. I don't like whatever lesson it is you feel like I should be taking away from this book. And then later in life, I read Sylvia Plath's. And, you know, the funny thing is, like, I haven't really read any of her poetry aside from, like, the random poem that will pop up on your Instagram feed. But I've never sat down and read her poetry collection. But I read The Bell Jar. And so Mm -hmm. when I read Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jar, I was like, oh, like, all of a sudden, what people think The Catcher in the Rye is doing and what it should be clicked into place Mm -hmm. for me. And I was like, no. They need to be putting the bell jar on syllabuses instead, mm. or at least the syllabi should feature both the bell jar and catcher in the rye to give you both of those, those perspectives. But yes, don't read catcher in the rye. I hate it. Instead, read the bell jar. I hate it too. Uh, my theory about hating it though, so you just blew my theory out of the water, is that <laughs> people who hate it read it when they were older. Because I read it in my 20s and I was mm. like, I don't care about this. But like a lot of people who read it in high school are like, oh, I love this book because they like it saw something in them. But you have now officially <laughs> made it a, a hateable book for all ages. So thank you. Um, well, I mean, I hated most of the books we read in high school. So same. until in we got book, to you talk about Solomon. The Awakening. Oh, oh God, I hated The Awakening. I hated, I hated the, the Awakening, too. We read that in high school and I was like, why am I here? Like, this is a waste of my life. Um <laughs> What kind of reader would you say that you are? I don't know that I can sum it up in one word, but I am the type of person who buys like probably 40 to 50 books a year. Um, Maybe more than that, because I definitely buy more books per year than I read. And at this point, I'm reading about 30 to 50 books a year. So the year before the pandemic, I was like at a friend's house around Christmas time. And she told me that every year, her family does like this reading challenge. And at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the year, you set your reading goal for the year. And if you hit it at the end of the year, her, the husband, the sons, they all get like a Barnes and Noble book card and they all get to like go buy books. And I was like, oh, dang, can I be, can I do this? And I was (laughs) like, wait, can all of our friends do this? So I set up this group and the group has like 20 to 80 people in it any given year. There used to be like a buy-in and we would like raffle off the gift cards at the end. But after the pandemic, we got rid of that. My sister is a financial analyst. So she created this really great dashboard. So every time you read a book, you log it. And then we have all this demographic data. So you can also make sure, not that this is a problem for me, but if it's a problem for you, you make sure you're not just reading a bunch of straight white dudes. So it actually does a breakdown of 
the demographics of the people you're reading, genres, whether you're doing audiobook, physical book, um, and you can star the book, put notes. So then you have your individual dashboard and you also have the collective dashboard as well. So um, that probably actually says a lot about who I am. As that is, it does. It does. <laughs> you and I are very similar. I built a spreadsheet that I use for myself. It's my reading tracker. But now for people who join the Stacks Pack, it's like one of the big perks on the Patreon is that you get access to the reading tracker. Nice. And it has like country of origin, original yes. language, like all of that mm-hmm. stuff. And then it also has like publisher imprint, like page number, audio, all of that. And it is my favorite thing when I finish a book. Even if I finish a book at 3 a.m., it's like I immediately (laughs) go onto the spreadsheet and I'm like, did it, nailed it, (laughs) like entered the data, bitch. How many books? And I have it set up by year, but then I also have the first page is total since I started keeping track. So like every book I've read since 2016. That's incredible. And it's like, bro, it's – so you're speaking my language. And I love the year over year data. Like, oh, now that yes. I have like four years worth of data, I can see July is always going to be a light reading month That's for exactly me. That's exactly right. And I <laughs> and I even track how many books come in. So I know like I get a ton of books in November and December because all the publishers leave in December. So they send uh. everything at the end of the year for like the first three months of the next year. So I'm like, okay, clear the shelves because there's a lot <laughs> coming in or like whatever. I have, I just love it. It like makes my reading life feel like more purposeful or something. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad that you can relate because a lot of people are like, I don't track my reading. I don't care. This is too intense. No. Why are you making it crazy? I put that like, on no. my... I'm not on the apps right now, but when I'm on the dating apps, that's one of the things I share about my self because I track my reading. Yeah, because I think these dudes see my face Mm. and they think like, ooh, like they just make assumptions of what type of person I am. I'm like, no, I need you to know. Um, (laughs) I read like 50 books a year and I collect the data. And I will be tracking. Yeah, and I will be tracking. And I will be letting you know about. So that sounds like that sounds like the type of person you don't want to be having a lot of conversations with. Don't swipe on me. Go ahead and swipe the other way, (laughs) people. Um, What are you currently reading? Oh, gosh. I'm in the middle of uh, R.D. Matthews' Bread and Circus. I'm reading Sadia Hartman's Lose Your Mother. I went to Senegal at the end of last year, beginning of this year. And so one of the experiences that I had is because I am Black and Filipino, is that even in Senegal, even surrounded by other Black people, like, I still stood out, you know? Mm. And I still garnered, like, undue attention in specific ways. And so that had me kind of, like, thinking about the, like, the symbol that Africa becomes in your mind when you're a Black American and then what the actual experience is. And Mm. Sadia Hartman beat me to those thoughts and wrote an exceptional (laughs) book about it and my family's going to the Philippines at the be- end beginning of this year so it's going to be like this uh, yeah like, yeah like yeah starting the year in the fatherland ending it in the motherland you know book three oh, loading yes. <laughs> wait what's book two uh you know book two I think is going to be uh an essay collection on like naming and claiming yourself I get a lot mm. of people who ask me if honey is my real last name And like, I was on a date with some dude and he asked me that. And I was just kind of like, when you are black and you're a woman in America, like what is real about a last name? 
So mm. is a last name that like I choose versus one that's like inherited by someone who enslaved my ancestors or right. one that was obtained through marriage. Is that more real or more relevant to who I am as a person? I would say no. I would say no. Got it. Interesting. Um, are there any books that are coming out or just on your shelves that you're really looking forward to reading? Oh, you know, right now I've got my microphone sitting on top of the the love songs of W.E.D. Boy, which uh. has been out for a while, but it's such a big book. It's a great book, so I hear. But um, the author is coming to speak here in Louisville in a couple months, so I'm like, I gotta, I gotta get into this book. I gotta get into it now. Um, so I think that that's finally gonna like push me to do it. And then, oh my gosh, let me pull up my. My yeah, like pull, it to, up. pull up your spreadsheets. My, my to buy <laughs> my book to buy list of books because yeah, I just I all the time I sit down and I like I do the math on it. Like, oh, if I ever get a ton of money, I'm gonna buy every single one of these books. <laughs> um oh, Red State. Oh, like her Instagram name is Red State Blue State, but I think it's like Margot Steins. Her mm-hmm. memoir Brutalities is okay. coming out in October. Uh, Britney Spears is also putting out a memoir in October. Know, Fortunately, it's the okay, end of Britney the month. Spears, Carrie Washington, <laughs> and Jada Pinkett all have books coming out in September, October. It's a good year for Black women. <laughs> yeah. And Britney. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, Our gosh. Favorite. Please do not spread the rumor that I consider Britney Spears a Black woman, like, in my no. mind. <laughs> no. We just, celebrities we love and Black women. Celebrities um, we love and Black women. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned that a friend of yours or a coworker recommended the poetry, the Hemphill poetry that you liked. Who do you take book recommendations from? How do you get book recommendations? Do you use newspapers, social media, friends? Like what, what, who are your go-tos? Oh yeah. I'm absolutely at the point in my writing career where, you know, I have so many writer friends that every year, like I'm just like (laughs) buying people's books, buying friends' books, um, my sister, the one who created the dashboard, also does a lot of reading. She's in a book club. So she actually put me on to um, The Perfect Find, which oh, yeah, they Tia turned, Williams. Tia Williams, yeah. Like I, She I, has a new book coming out next year. Oh, good. Because I had read, what was her other books? Seven Years. Seven, uh, seven Days in June. Seven Days in June. And I liked it. But yeah. The Perfect Find was incredible. Really? I loved it so much. And I also was like... At that moment in my life, dating like a significantly younger man. So my sister was like, uh. you should read this book. Uh, <laughs> it, it did not end the same way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I haven't read The Perfect Find. Oh, okay. But I, I, ha- I have read Seven Days in June and I really liked that. And I'm really excited. The next one is called something. The character's name is like Ricky. I don't know. The title has the word Ricky in it. Anyways. And then when you're reading books and authors reference other books, then it's like, oh gosh, let me like, yeah. By the time I finish reading a Ross Gay book or Hanif Abdurraqib book, I have such a reading list for myself. Yes. Oh my God. Anything Hanif puts on the internet, like if it's like a song and like an album, whatever, I'm like, oh God, I guess I got to buy this thing now. I guess I got to go do this. He's got just like such impeccable taste. Impeccable Um, taste. Exquisite. Yeah. What's a book that you like to recommend to people? Ooh, I have been super into The Perfectionist Guide to Losing Control. 
And Ooh, this sounds like a me book. I never okay. read that, but I feel like I need, I'm like shifting in my chair. <laughs> Tell me about it. I feel like the second half of the title should be and gain power because mm-hmm. uh, from the title that it currently have, currently has, like they're going to take my recommendation and change it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but from its title, you think it's going to be a book on like how to fix your perfectionism. But the author, who's like a psychologist, is like, perfectionism is not a pathology. Like, it's it's just like a default personality. Like, you can't mm. change who you are. But just like any other personality traits, there are adaptive and maladaptive aspects of it. So what I can help you do is recognize when your perfectionism is being maladaptive or mm. um, different ways to use your perfectionism in adaptive ways. Uh, And so she categorizes, there's like four different types of perfectionists. So you take it and you figure out what type of perfectionist you are. And then she walks you through um, the specifics of that, Mm. like of that type of perfectionism. And she also points out that like, when we see these sorts of traits in men, they're celebrated. Like nobody's trying to tell Steve Jobs to be less of a perfectionist. Right. Right. So it's only women. And so... uh, I have recommended that to his, you know, perfectionist type women. We can like travel in packs. So I've recommended this book to so many of my friends. It's almost all of it's underlined. And it just really brought a lot of relief (laughs) to me. And like also made me think about different things in my life kind of differently and gave me just some tools for some of the like ways that my perfectionism does like manifest um, in Mm. the not best ways. Interesting. That sounds really good. I feel like I I need I need this book. Uh, spoiler alert: I'm a perfectionist. Um, <laughs> it's one of those books you recommend to a friend, and then your friend like texts you live updates as they're reading oh, it because it's okay. that good. Well, let's exchange numbers. Um, <laughs> do you set reading goals, or are there things that you wish were different about your reading life? Yeah, as part of the like book track, we call it book social. So as part of book social, you know, we do set a a goal and we say you're not like in competition with anybody but yourself. So I'm really just trying to read more books than I did the previous year. And then I'll also give myself grace. Like the first year we did it, I think I read like 20 something books, but the year before that I had maybe read like 10 books. So I was like, this is an incredible leap. And then, you know, I read like 56 books. But then I had like a big drop the next year and it was like, oh, wow, because you were writing your book. So, right. you know, just right, being right, like right. realistic about some of the limitations. But yeah, I, I just, you know, I really do want to be, I think, like 30 or more books for per year just because I buy so many books. And I think <laughs> as a writer and as someone who leads writing workshops, like it's also my responsibility to keep up with like the literary landscape. Yeah, totally. Are there any genres that you avoid yeah those uh world war books war books Mm -hmm. in general like the like i just mm, like one the types of authors that usually write those books are usually the types Mm -hmm. of people i would be avoiding in real life and so (laughs) (laughs) i just don't really want their framing or lens (laughs) yeah 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 what's your ideal reading setup where are you time of day beverage snacks temperature music location all of that stuff oh I like to read in bed Mm -hmm. and it's really annoying because when I sleep I sleep on like my left side and that side like faces towards my lamp but for some reason when I'm reading in bed I really want to like lay on my right side while I read and it's like 
away from my lamp and it like causes shadows. And, and I, so I'll try to like flip it because like, I mean, obviously I spend a lot of time on the other side cause that's the side I sleep right. on, but I just get so agitated. I feel like I can't even like, focus on the words that I'm trying to read. <laughs> I, def- I don't know why I don't just move my lamp to the other side of the room. Yes. That was my solution. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, I, I like to read in bed all snuggled up. If it's during the day, I'll try to read um, you know, on my couch, if I'm like out and about, like if I'm traveling, then that's when I take my e-reader and try to get some reading done that way. But, you know, I listen to a lot of audio books. I, lis- I like to listen to self-help type books on audio, but I've also okay. gotten to the place where I can listen to, um, you know, essays and novels on audio now too. So. Yeah. What about snacks and beverages while reading? Any? No, because I'm always afraid of like getting grease and food and stuff on. <laughs> like I told you, I, I've gifted the Destiny Hemphill book to a couple mm-hmm. of people. And one of those people we had read like, cause it's poetry. So it's quick read. We'd read the first section together in a coffee shop. And I noticed like he, I don't know if he like had some chips or something like that, but he left these kind of like fingerprints on the pages, but they were very <laughs> light. Like you wouldn't know they were there unless you were me. But when I gifted him a copy of the book, like I swapped, I swapped out the copies because <laughs> I didn't want the fingerprints. <laughs> so I gifted him that like the old copy. Wild. I hope so, he's yeah. listening to this so he knows he got the dingy copy. He's not going to care. He's also a person who's like, he's the type of person who didn't who even notice. Care. Well, yeah, like, yeah. you know, poets, you know, poets. They're in the I heads. know poets. Yeah. So yeah. They've got greasy so, fingers, those <laughs> damn poets. <laughs> So yeah, no, I'm not eating snacks while reading. Uh, okay, but yeah, you know, I'll have is... some, I'll have some water, I'll have some tea. But yeah. I'm okay. Not okay. Okay. You're killing me here, but okay. <laughs> Do you have a favorite bookstore? I, uh, you know, right now in Louisville, I'm partnering with Boxing Books, and so it's a bookmobile. But their brick and mortar store is opening in October, so I'm super excited Ooh. for them. Yeah, and they're gonna pop up at all of my events. My book launch party is gonna be. At Trouble Bar, which is a woman-owned bourbon bar that my friends own. And so, and I have a oh, wow. cocktail on the list on their menu. So is it there's the Minda Honey or what's it called? <laughs> it's called the Storyteller. And okay. and it says above it, like, you know, named after named for one of our favorite storytellers, book out in October, buy it here. <laughs> like, what wait, what is your pub day? It's October 1st. Okay. So everyone, as you're listening, the book is out. Just it's wanted out. to be clear. Because this comes out the first week of October, but we're recording this in September. Anyways, it's out, people. You can get it. So don't get the book. We, yeah, get the book and then get a cocktail if you're in Louisville. <laughs> yes. Go um, like the come to Louisville, get the get the storyteller. But yeah, they're gonna host the launch party and then boxing books is gonna like be on site to like yeah, cool. sell the book in person. So excited about that I love partnership. That. What's the last book that made you laugh? Oh gosh. So I read uh Hannah Petard's we Are Too Many, which is about her husband uh, cheating on her with her best friend. And funny. She, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, hilarious. She teaches, <laughs> she teaches at UK. So there's that Kentucky connection. And then she's also a writer. And they all met while her and her friend were doing their MFA. So there's that just okay. kind of like that underwriting writer drama. Mm-hmm. And then I also read Haley Jacobson's Old Enough. And mm-hmm. that is probably like the most Gen Z coded book I've ever read, <laughs> but like in the best way possible. So there was a lot of humor in the book in general, but there was just like also 
a lot of humor for me to laugh at myself of like, oh my gosh, I'm so old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What about the last book that made you cry? Oh, well, you know, I read Silas House's Southernmost. Mm-hmm. I listened to that actually on audiobook as I was like driving down to Nashville. And it's such a beautiful book. It's about this uh, Pentecostal preacher. He's like in a very rural part of Kentucky who has a gay brother that he kind of like casts out of his life at some point and then has this like revelation about how wrong this is, you know, and decides to leave his wife who's like very rigid in her belief system. But because he is a man, he's a single man and he's going against like the culture of his community, he doesn't really have any chance of getting custody of his son. So Mm. he takes his son and they go to like Key West. And so there's obviously a lot of complications, like, you know, ethical complications, moral complications and, and someone like kidnapping a child. And then just also the ways that these conversations around like homophobia and bigotry unfold, because we're almost seeing this man positioned as the hero because he's had this awakening. But then when he finally tracks down his brother, his brother's like, I don't know if I can forgive you for, for what you did, because why wasn't like knowing me and loving me enough, you know? Mm -hmm. And also the man very quickly realizes the limitations. Like even though he's had this awakening, there are still these ways in which like he is, bigoted and he like has these mm. shortcomings so it's just like this really complicated book and your heart just kind of like hurts for this man and like hurts wow. for his son hurts for his brother and makes you want to visit key west <laughs> yeah that sounds so good well silas house also wrote um the music video for the tyler Ch- childers new music video about the two gay men who are coal miners and like they fall in love that. and they, oh my God, like watch the music video. It will make okay. you cry, but they okay. fall in love and they leave. And then like one, like, I guess he dies from like black lung or whatever. And it was, it was, so, yeah. And so Silas House and his husband worked and wrote on that. So I'll give you a little, a little taste okay. of what's okay, in okay, store okay. for you with Southernmost. Are there any books that you are embarrassed that you still have not read yet? Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah, anything, anything that Toni Morrison has written or James Baldwin has written, like, I'm like, I need to read their complete canons. Yeah. Have you read Tar Baby before? I have not read Tar Baby before. Okay. Oh, good. So we're both going to be noobs. Okay. I'm excited. Um, (laughs) Do you have a problematic favorite book? I will say that there are authors that have been canceled whose books that I would not buy today, but have bought prior to the cancellation and then just have not been able to bring myself to like expunge those books from my collection. And those would be like, can you name one? Can you name Uh, one? I'm not going to name. I'm going to name. I'm not going to name. It's like, it's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's like being a Kanye fan. It's like, you know, yes, I I just recently talked about it. Yeah. I would never buy a Kanye album today. I'm not going to a Kanye concert, but you know, if, 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 if I go someplace and they're playing high school dropout, I'm a rap along under my breath. So yeah, you know, I'm working through it. I know it's not right. I'm a complicated person. No, it's not. It's not not right. We our book club pick for September, which you will not have heard yet, is Monsters, A Fan's Dilemma, which is all oh, about yes. being a fan of monstrous artists and monstrous men. And actually, that book brought me back to listening to Kanye. Oh, really? Because See, I just thing- felt like his stain for me, like the thing that, and I talked about this on the episode, so I won't spend a lot of time on this, but the thing that 
the things that he has done wrong don't stain the music for me, the early mm. music. I can't listen to his new stuff because I can't hear it without thinking of him at that time. But like I can listen to 808 and Heartbreaks, no problem, because that music isn't stained for me. Like his crimes or like what he's done wrong and the things that he's said and the ways that he's been an asshole don't show up in the music for me. Whereas like I can't, I couldn't watch a Woody Allen movie because right, his crimes right. show up in his work. But anyways, I'm going to read that monster my... book. I'm going to read it. It's that really good. Book. I loved it. Um, if you could require the current president of the United States to read one book, what would it be? Is it selfish if I say I want Joe Biden to read my book? No. <laughs> you know, we've, we've already established that it's changing the hearts and minds of white America. That's true. So if Joe Biden can read the heartbreak years and just really like open his eyes to the anti-blackness that we're out here enduring and yes. you know, implement these policies that are going to like have significant bearing on like the happiness and well-being of black folks for generations then you know i've really i've really done what You've i've done set out job. to do yeah, yeah. <laughs> and his son hunter biden is definitely a fuck boy so i feel like Ooh. he could see his son in a new light you know like i feel like it'll be a chance for him to see what hunter has wrought perhaps <laughs> not directly <laughs> I don't want people to think that you had a relationship with Hunter Biden. I did not, not have a saying. relationship with him. I would have definitely opened with that. If that were. Yeah, I feel like that would have been the the memoir, the entire memoir. Especially um, right now. Absolutely. I know. Ticket. It's like a lot of book sales on that one. If you had the, I used to date, if I, I used to date Hunter Biden and he used to be wild boy with me, you would have the book of the year. Um, all right, everybody. This has been a conversation with Minda Honey, whose new book, The Heartbreak Years, is out now. You can get it wherever you get your books. Do you read the audiobook? I do read the audiobook. Okay. You can listen to Minda read the audiobook as well. And Minda will be back on October 25th for our discussion, which will have lots of spoilers of <laughs> Tar Baby. So Woo-hoo. read the book with us. And Minda, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Tracy. This was delightful. So fun. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. All right, y'all. That does it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to Minda Honey for joining the show. I'd also like to say thank you to Suzanne Williams for helping to make this conversation possible. Remember, Minda will be returning to the show on October 25th for our book club discussion of Tar Baby by Toni Morrison. If you love the show and want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks and join the stacks pack. Make sure you're subscribed to The Stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts or Spotify, be sure to leave us a rating and a review. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media. We are at The Stacks Pod on Instagram, Threads, and TikTok. And we're at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter. And you can always check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. This episode of The Stacks was edited by Christian Duenas with production assistance from Lauren Tyree. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite, and our theme music is from Tagirajis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.